Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Ribbon Communications video stream. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, which we're aiming specifically at system resellers and integrators in the broader oil and gas and rail industries, both of which are facing some very similar challenges in modernizing their ICT infrastructures. Things like aging networks, increasing regulation, enhanced security requirements, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of this is also leading to the digitalization of their industry to allow for remote monitoring and control of IoT connected devices. So with all of this, what does it look like for both resellers and integrators to evolve their networks smoothly as bandwidth demands continue to grow and evolve? How can they do all of this efficiently and where could they use some help? So for insights today into how to maneuver these challenges and how Ribbon Communications is stepping in to help, we're getting some insights from Sam Lyle, Director of Business Development for Ribbon Communications. Sam, great to have you on. How are you doing? Good. Hey, good to be here, Daniel. Thanks. Yeah, it's a pleasure getting to chat with you today and looking forward to sourcing your insights here. So let's not skip a beat. Let's jump right in. I know Ribbon is kind of a new name in both the IP and optical networking worlds. So can you give us a little more context on how long Ribbon has been delivering solutions to these markets and exactly which markets it has been delivering said solutions to? Yeah, sure thing, Daniel. Uh, well, Ribbon is a very well-known name in terms of like voice and real-time communication solutions. Uh, but in March of this year, Ribbon acquired a company called ECI Telecom, uh, where I was a part. Uh, ECI has been a worldwide provider, actually, of transport solutions since the 1960s. So we have a very forward-looking portfolio of IP switch router platforms, uh, DWDM and Rotom optical systems, and even OTN solutions that we've delivered to telecom service providers and critical infrastructure operators like we're talking about today. And uh, we do this around the world and actually we've been doing it here in, uh, in North America as well. Okay, so these have been deployed in North America then. Can you give us a little more context on what that deployment has looked like uh, in the North American region? Yeah, sure thing. Actually, we've been in North America uh, for over 30 years with you know complete USA-based support and service out of our Fort Lauderdale office. Uh, but with our new portfolio and the ribbon acquisition, there's been really a significant reinvigoration of our focus in the US and Canada. So we actually have a large presence here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and large presence in, in Ottawa, Canada as well. And we've been busily serving, you know, tier one operators, tier two, tier three operators on the service provider side, but engaging uh, uh, lots of folks in the critical infrastructure world as well here in North America. Thanks for bringing up critical infrastructure. I wanted to get a little more insight on how this uh, immediately impacts critical infrastructure operators. So okay. when you say critical infrastructure, do you mean uh, infrastructure like electric utilities, oil and gas, uh, rail companies, et cetera? And if yeah. so, go ahead and uh, break down uh, how that materializes in practice. Yeah, sure thing, Daniel. Yeah, we serve all of those types of players. We've helped uh, lots of operators around the world, both you know, kind of oil and gas concerns. They kind of have some similar uh, needs that they have. Uh, the water companies kind of have a certain set of needs that they have rail companies, uh, electric utilities are a big user of this kind of kind of thing, kind of you name it. So we've actually done hundreds of these net networks uh, worldwide and here in North America. And you know, many critical infrastructure operators, 
they have very unique networking needs and they discover that it's actually much more economical to own their own transport network to serve their needs rather than depending upon a telecom service provider and leasing some sort of service with a, with a monthly recurring charge. So given that these are critical infrastructure operators, I'm guessing that sometimes there are stressors that are more than just economic concerns that would you know, drive any one player to uh, you know, want to own their own network. Can you give us a little more context as to what these other factors and motivators are that are pushing them to want to uh, take more control of their own network? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, economics is always part of the game, but in the critical infrastructure world, um, there's, you know, people are very risk averse and there's often, you know, even human life at stake with the controlling the operations of these types of, of environments. So for that reason, a uh, critical infrastructure operator will usually have two distinctive and usually segregated kinds of networks. They'll sort of have the conventional IT networks uh, for web applications and so forth. And then they'll have another type of network called an OT network or an operational technology network. And those OT networks provide very highly specialized applications uh, that are often unique to the specific industry, like teleprotection for electric utilities. Uh, but more along today's focus, things like automation of pumps and valves for the oil and gas concerns or signaling, interlocking and level crossing systems for, for rail companies. And there's just you know, so much at stake if there's an outage or some kind of performance degradation and any kind of compromised ability for those entities to monitor and control those operations. It's, it's just devastating if something goes wrong. I mean, there's, uh, and, and human life is at stake. There's safety issues. And, you know, of course, if there's a, uh, you know, a gas problem, I mean, that's a very dangerous thing. So there, there's plenty of examples where the driver has not been purely economic. The driver often is more to sort of control one's own destiny and minimize risk. And sadly, that's often because of a prior bad experience. Uh, but then once they do invest in those kinds of networks and, and control their own destiny and minimize that risk, then there is a cost savings upside in many cases and uh, and an ability to react uh, to new kinds of demands and opportunities has kind of been worth it on its own. Like, for instance, uh, utility companies uh, who own right of way and have optical fiber deployed, uh, there is now an opportunity for those companies uh, to leverage that infrastructure to actually get into like the Utelco kind of business, they kind of call it, and actually serve consumers with uh, internet access and things. So you do it to minimize risk, but then there's often upsides. Uh, kind of the area where we really shine is really on the OT side of things, the operational technology side of things, because those needs, those networking needs are very different. Uh, you need something that's very highly deterministic guaranteed transport, assured, and secure. So it may be very tempting for folks to think, yeah, you know, a router is a router is a router, not really for these applications. Um, so so, uh, so there's lots of reasons why uh, a service provider or critical infrastructure operator would want to, you know, control its own destiny and go with a, a specialized kind of solution that can, can minimize a risk. So we mentioned uh, at the very beginning that there are a whole set of different uh, stressors or motivators for uh, why critical infrastructure operators are having to revitalize their networks. Uh, you also just mentioned a few, but I'd like to get even more specific. Can you break down what the new demands and stressors are in today's market that 
are, um, I guess, putting more pressures on critical infrastructure operators, mm -hmm. and how is that turning into day-to-day -day challenges? Yeah, things are things are really changing right now, and um, you know there are some emerging phenomena that kind of cut across critical infrastructure industries, like you know things like five G that kind of cuts across industries. Uh, need for network modernization is a common need across uh, what, whatever kind of critical infrastructure is being built. But there are specific stressors that vary according to the type of industry. So maybe we'll just you know, quickly start with rail, for example. Uh, for rail operators, uh, something called communications-based train control systems, or CBTC, that's a really big area of industry investment right now. And what that does is allows uh, rail operators to kind of increase their track capacity and kind of get more trains on the track at the, running at the same time. And it also keeps everybody safe when you have more trains on the track at the same time. So there's tons of data that's collected about the speed and the location of the train and getting that data back to where it is processed requires a network. And that data is obviously very, uh, very sensitive, very critical, very latency sensitive. So this drives the need for this highly deterministic form of networking where you know packets are flowing through the network but they don't take too long uh, you're not going to lose a packet you know that that sort of thing another application is uh, sort of the increased sophistication and resolution of video surveillance to support things like facial recognition and the need to backhaul that traffic to to the operations center that's critical traffic as well another key driver for the rail industry and we see this in other industries as well, but uh, it's kind of end of life uh, for several types of legacy technologies. In the rail world, it tends to be things like P25 radio, um, a cellular technology called GSMR. And actually a lot of rail companies have used a type of optical networking gear that was popular 20 years ago, stuff called sonic gear. And they need to move those technologies to 5G, industrial IoT, and actually toward ethernet and IP forms of networking, modern solutions that are supported. Uh, I guess I've touched on this a little bit, but the emergence of 5G presents a huge opportunity for a number of applications on the traditional OT side because 5G now provides a single wireless technology, a single platform for the collection of really any kind of OT traffic. So those are kind of things, I know it's a long-winded answer, but those are things kind of on the OT side. But in addition to everything on the OT side, there's kind of a host of consumer applications that rail companies are moving toward. Like for example, providing higher speed internet access uh, to passengers when you're on the train and broadband access on very rapidly moving trains. Actually 5G was developed uh, with the idea of supporting you know trains that are moving very fast and you can do all the cellular handoffs you need to do and people's internet connections don't get uh, don't get messed with 4g wasn't so good at that so a lot of train companies are looking at, at 5g uh, for ways to do that so we see a very wide diversity of traffic types and applications that require rail networks uh, to provide very highly deterministic connectivity and also isolate this ot traffic from more of the it traffic um, so you can kind of keep things separate. And so bursty traffic for consumer broadband doesn't fiddle with your sensitive uh, uh, traffic for keeping the train in the right place on the track. All right, thank you so much for breaking that down for the rail industry. Obviously the conversation also is including the oil and gas sector. So can you mm -hmm. walk through some of these same 
infrastructure challenges for oil and gas, how they're manifesting and what that looks like in terms of day-to-day -day challenges. Yeah, sure thing. Um, you know, end of life of legacy technology is also a theme in the in the oil and gas uh, area. Uh, typically, oil and gas companies have relied very heavily upon now what's end of life, this, this aging sonnet equipment I mentioned earlier. And they use that sonnet equipment to backhaul SCADA data and IoT data to control and monitor, you know, literally thousands of compressors, valves, pumps, and things like that. So these applications, because the sonnet stuff is dying, uh, they need to be served over modern ethernet and IP networks. Uh, in, in addition to those traditional operational needs, oil and gas companies, sort of similar to rail, they're, they're deploying extensive video surveillance solutions aren't involved in providing internet access to their workforce, which often remote and live in kind of desolate places. So uh, there's some commonality with rail and needing to both modernize the OT environment and deliver new high bandwidth, kind of more best effort types of consumer-like applications. So again, the network needs to provide isolation between those two types of traffic. So your bursty consumer-oriented stuff uh, doesn't fiddle with the very highly sensitive stuff where, where human life is at stake. Um, we actually partition the oil and the gas space into three different segments. There's an upstream location with uh, where the kind of the onshore and offshore plants are. Uh, there's downstream facilities, refineries and reservoirs, and pipelines that are in the middle. We tend to focus more on the upstream and the pipeline OT connectivity. Um, actually, in the oil and gas space, there's like 10 times the quantity of SCADA and ICS systems and other critical infrastructure environments. Uh, and historically, much of the upstream network deployment has been based on microwave or wireless approaches. But there are many advantages of going with a fiber-based approach, higher bandwidth, higher security. Um, and the pipeline stuff's kind of interesting too. On, on the pipeline side, there's kind of a whole new area that's new. It's called fiber-based incident, fiber incident event management, where you can actually leverage fiber. It's kind of cool, Daniel. You deploy it alongside the pipeline, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And there's actually, you know, acoustic signals that travel down there. They're optical signals, but they represent acoustic information. It travels down the fiber. So if there's an animal that walks up close to the pipeline, it can be detected. If there's a human being that gets too close to the pipeline, it can be detected. It sets off an alarm. It's, it's really interesting stuff. Um, so if you got the fiber, you know what? You can reuse that for network also. So most installations we see along a pipeline uh, they need bandwidth. So, you know, we've got that fiber there. You can provide a minimum of a gigabit Ethernet uplink uh, back into the network. It's, it's, a, it's a nice fit. So let's bring Riven Communications, uh, I guess, more specifically into the conversation. What makes Riven an attractive transport network partner for these various industries, especially uh, as a systems integrator looking for a network partner? Okay. Well, first of all, we love to work through integrators. So we're very integrator friendly. We're not trying to go around integrators and work directly with, with folks. We'll talk more about that later. Um, but um, we have a very unique set of solutions actually in, in, in three different ways. Uh, first of all, our solutions enable a critical infrastructure operator to transition away from these legacy technologies like Sonnet environments to modern ethernet, IP, MPLS environments. And we allow them to do this at their own pace, according to their own needs. Uh, we do that both uh, technically, the way we structure the solution, and we can do that commercially as well. That's, that's an important component. And we, so we, technically, we do this by supporting the very full range of 
kind of legacy or old fashioned interfaces, because sometimes the systems we're butting up into, they're not ready for migration or, or the operator's not ready to come off that legacy gear yet. So we support those legacy interfaces, but we support all the newest ethernet and IP functionality for things like you know, emerging 5G applications. So that's kind of the first thing. And then the second thing is, you know, support of legacy stuff was kind of our, our, our first distinctive. And our second distinctive is, is that our solutions are unique and their ability to provide very guaranteed, very deterministic, predictable, low latency, low loss, low jitter, uh, transport performance and assured 50 millisecond protection switching. So very, very critical uh, you know, performance abilities for these critical applications. And sort of related to that, we offer encryption. Security is a big deal uh, these days. So we offer hardware encryption at layer one and at layer two. And both of those encryption capabilities actually don't impact the deterministic performance. So that kind of deterministic and secure transport is essential to supporting the OT side uh, uh, for all these entities. So that kind of uh, at your own pace network modernization and the deterministic performance model uh, and keeping that in mind, uh, it really seems to fit this control your own destiny model, right? Uh, yeah. What are some of the other approaches or what's a third way to try to update your network? And then what are your thoughts on said other models? Yeah, sure. So the, yeah, the, those first, you know, we have these kind of three pillars, if you will, and those first two pillars really fit right into the control your own destiny and, and risk management thing. Uh, kind of the third thing we do is just the breadth of our, our capabilities. We have a very full range of uh, products in our portfolio, but they can be managed very, very simply and manage it as a single solution. Um, so some critical infrastructure operators do have some Ethernet and IP deployments um, because they've been forcing a refresh of those tech technologies. But um, with the amount of bandwidth that's increasing now, it's also starting to push critical infrastructure operators into deploying an actual optical layer to meet uh, both capacity and distance needs as well as to deploy integrated security functions. So, you know, the fact that we kind of do it all, and we have the, uh, the the routing and the switching gear and the optical layer, um, that's important. And and I guess related to that, you know, I'm kind of going on here, but uh, re related to that, making it easy to manage is a big, big deal. Uh, traditionally, switch router gear has needed a lot of special expertise in what's called a command line interface. And that's needed to operate a specific vendor's gear. So you might learn command line interface for vendor number one and a different command line interface for vendor number two. And it's just, it's just kind of ugly. So all those field techs have needed specialized training. Now, the way we do things is very different. We recognize that the same person who might be dealing with pumps and compressors in the morning or track equipment, they may be trying to deal with network issues in the afternoon and they don't have time to learn a specialized command line interface. They need a, a GUI and they need a picture and a point and click interface. And, and really that's what we give them. So it's very easy to, very easy to operate uh, the full range of our solutions. Sam, I've really enjoyed our conversation so far. Thank you for all your insights. I've really just got one last question for you. So you mentioned that Ribbon prioritizes working with system integrators. Can you give us a little more context on the dynamic for how Ribbon works with uh, critical infrastructure operators? Do you do direct sales there? What does that dynamic look like? 
Okay, yeah, sure thing, Daniel. Well, we're very committed to operating through uh, system integrators partners. Uh, we do get very involved uh, with uh, kind of the network design and the solution recommendation and really understanding uh, the end user's problem because we want to make our partners successful. But it's much more efficient for the operator and it's more efficient for us to serve this market through SI partners. So we don't, we would never uh, be in a situation where we'd be sort of selling around you. Uh, and we have a lot of experience with this. We actually have dozens of partners worldwide with some with some very big names. But as we reinvigorate our involvement in North America, we're actively looking for additional partners, particularly in the oil and gas area and in the rail segments. All right, Sam Lyle, Director of Business Development for Ribbon Communications. Thank you so much for joining us, giving your perspectives today yeah, on pleasure. the video stream. Uh, if folks wanna find out more about some of the work that Ribbon Communications is doing in the oil and gas and rail spaces, how can they do so? Uh, well, then go to our website at uh, Ribbon Communications. Uh, uh, and also uh, just want to emphasize that we've had a lot of successes around the world in this space. I, I guess I haven't done any name dropping. I should probably do a little bit of that. Uh, we've sold uh, solutions to companies like Deutsche Bahn in Germany, uh, SNCF in France, Petrobras in Brazil. Uh, so we're very excited to leverage our heritage and experience to serve the oil and gas and rail operators here in North America and to work with uh, you know good partners to do that. Exciting stuff, Sam, and I'm looking forward to seeing how these solutions continue to impact the market moving forward. We'll have to do some follow-up conversations. So again, Sam Lyle, Director of Business Development for Ribbon Communications, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. It was a pleasure. And thank you everyone for watching this Ribbon Communications video stream. If you like what you saw and want to get some more Ribbon content, go to our website at ribboncommunications.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time.